On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and talking, taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Acts 27 through 10, this is the word of God. You can be seated. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God, yeah. Is Justin here? No? He's home? Okay. Um, no, that was, uh, that was a, a, a lame attempt at a joke. If you've been with us for the last uh, little bit, you know that we've been working through this, spirit, this uh, Spirit-filled series. We're looking at the Holy Spirit. And one of the neat things uh, about this particular church body is its generosity and its relationships. So if you're a visitor here today, you are in for a treat. If you are a longtime attender here or a member, thank you uh, for being a part of this environment where we get to be in real, authentic, and open relationship with each other. Uh, We have been moving through Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. And as we've been looking, as we've used that as an outline, Pastor Scott has been has done something that not a lot of pastors do, and that is he's given up his pulpit. Uh, this is this will be the third time in a seven-part series uh, where Pastor Scott has not been preaching, and that demonstrates an incredible amount of trust, not just from him to the folks that he invites in, but also from you to your pastor. Um, one to say that you trust his discretion in bringing folks in, but two saying you trust the way that he divides up his time and his labor. Um, And Scott is a man worthy of that kind of trust. And so it was my privilege to open up this series. Uh, We talked about having a need for the Holy Spirit. And the big idea in that one, we need the Holy Spirit because we aren't Christians without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you've not been reborn by the Holy Spirit, then you aren't a Christian. Uh, it doesn't mean that you aren't, aren't a good person and cannot accomplish things and aren't someone worthy of respect, but when we talk about being in a relationship with God, the, whole, the Father of all creation, and, get, and being in heaven for all eternity, you have to be a Christian in order to get those things, in order to be those things. Um, and then we talked about, Scott, Pastor Scott preached on the fear of the Holy Spirit, because When we start talking about being secured in Christ and never being able to lose your salvation, sometimes there is, there can be a tendency to say, well, nothing I do really matters, right? What what does it matter if I'm good if if it doesn't end up costing me anything to not be? Uh, Because Jesus is the one that paid the price, and so I can do whatever it is I want. Uh, The Bible directly addresses that in in the book of Romans where someone makes the argument, should we sin more so that God can be more glorified? And Paul says, that's dumb, don't say that. Um... And so when we talk about why should, we, um, why should we continue to care if we've already been secured, uh, Pastor Scott did an excellent job of talking about the need to be, have a, a fear of the Lord. And it's not, a, it's not a fear of punishment or a fear of reprisal. It's, 
an awesome acknowledgement of the glory and the power and the majesty and the holiness of this perfect created being who cannot abide sin and brings all sinners who are willing to submit to himself. And so this, we live this life then before the face of God with a reverence, an awe, a thanksgiving that we are actually in the presence of someone who is so perfect and pure and holy. And then from there, we, uh, Pastor Scott did something that was really unique. He, uh, he had a time of Q&A. The, we, he was talking about, uh, well, the, the title of it was Pneumatology 101. So basically, a, a, uh, a condensed study of the biblical story of the Holy Spirit. So he, he treated it more like a lecture class. And you guys were, it was awesome to be here, to sit and to hear the active participation. It was like a large, small group meeting. <laughs> where Pastor Scott asked questions and people actually responded in real time. And it was so neat to be able to hear from people that we probably wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to be with. Because if you're not in a life group with someone, or you're not in a relationship with someone, or you haven't lived life or walked alongside someone for a while, they might not feel comfortable sharing with you. And yet we had folks that were speaking up in here about things that were going on with them that was encouraging and affirming, and it was really neat to be able to see that uh, on a Sunday morning. And then last week, Pastor Scott invited in his brother Justin, who uh, just did a bang-up job, aside from his introduction, which I didn't appreciate one bit, um, <laughs> uh, where he took a shot at me, uh, and so that's where that, that text came from today. Um, he talked about the, the, the fact that you have been given a spiritual gift by God for everyone else. That you are actually, you yourself are a gift to the community of God. You are a gift. And that's an amazing thing to think. We talk about what are our spiritual gifts? What do we do? What, you know, what, how can I express this thing? We don't stop to think that you yourself, who you are, who you're created to be, who you, what you like to do, what you like to think, what you've experienced, how you have been made whole, how you have been healed, the tragedies you've experienced, the, the successes that you've endured, the things you've accomplished, all of those things that go into making up who you are is a gift to the family of God. And then on top of that, you have skills and abilities some more unique than others, and some more uh, intense or accentuated than others that you then are privileged to give back to the church community. And he told, he told some stories, and what I really loved about listening to the stories that Justin told was the, the, the two stories that stood out to me, one was his relationship with his brother. I have a sister, I don't have a brother. Um, and I've always, I've, I've played sports, and now I'm in, a, in an occupation where there's, it's, there's a real fraternity there, but I've never had a brother, and it's fun. I have two boys, and I love watching them go back and forth with each other, and I wish that I had a best friend like that. It's an amazing thing, and then to think that both of them can preach, come on now. <laughs> it, was, it was really neat to hear him, the, the way that he talked about his brother. The other thing uh, was he told a really raw story about loving to fight. <laughs> Not that he loves to fight, but that in the moment of most intense conflict that he experienced, he found that he had somebody standing right next to him. And he found that he belonged to a community. 
And just a perfect segue into what we're going to be talking about this week then, which is being in a real relationship with God. Now, we've talked about the nature of God, right? The triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we talk about the triune nature of God, it's important that we are able to distinguish between each of the, each of the persons of the Godhead. Because each of them helps us to be fully us in this world. And the Holy Spirit is, the, is God who is closest to us. Because the Father is holy and pure, and he is in heaven. And he cannot abide sin, and he will judge the world. And then the Son was actually born as a baby and lived just like you and me, except he did it right and perfectly. And then when he, it was time for him to be offered up as a sacrifice for your sin, he was able to give you the credit of his righteousness, and took on all of your sin. And he really died on a cross, and he really was buried, and he really rose again three days later, and then was ascended to heaven, and that's where he is right now. So Jesus, who walked, Jesus of Nazareth, who even the unbelievers say was a real person, is actually in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come back in time to judge the world. And it will be a horrific final judgment. And so in the meantime, you and I are here in relationship with each other, still in relationship with God, but not the Father and not the Son, so that leaves us with the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we've taken this time to emphasize the person and the work of of the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we start talking about God is with us, we can easily fall into pantheism, saying God is everywhere, therefore God is actually nowhere, and I'm in control of God. God is bound by his creation. Or we can say, if we say that Jesus is inside of us, Jesus the real man, then we know intellectually that's, that those two things can't be true at the same time. So either Jesus is with us, and he's not real, or Jesus was real, and he's not with us. And that's not hopeful at all. And so the, the understanding of our relationship with the Holy Spirit actually helps us to really live this Christian life in this world right now without explaining away or making excuses for things that God does not excuse or explain away. And so as we talk about this uh, today, what we are going to address is being in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now the danger at this point is that we all want to know what does it look like to be in right relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so our minds immediately go to things like, well, let, let's, think, let's think about the, the holiest person you know, okay? Not Jesus, I know that's, but who's the actual person that you admire in the faith? And as you think about that person, you think about their character and their nature and the way they engage we want to run to what are the things that they do that, that cause them to be this way, and so we start looking at modeling ourselves after them. And the problem with that is that you are not them, and God is not uh, a vending machine. Okay? There is no magic spell or special words that you can say that will cause God to then do the thing that you want him to do, and that is make you holy and free you from sin or make your life good, or cause your spouse to behave better, or your children to respond the first time, or your boss to not be a jerk, or your coworkers to show up and do their share, or the people in front of you on 97A to drive faster, or, you know, whatever it is, okay? 
Your life was not ransomed by Christ so that you would be able to have everything you wanted. Your life was ransomed by Christ so that you would serve as a ransomer on his behalf. Meaning, once you were saved by God, you were saved to him and to his mission, which is to pursue and seek and save the lost. And you do that by enjoying the life that he's given you. Okay? God really did give you a life to enjoy. That complete joy we will find in heaven. But Jesus says, I came to give them life and life abundantly. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning that this life that we live right now should be a life where we find joy and peace. Okay? Not always happy or never in conflict, but joy and peace that comes from being in relationship with one who provides joy and peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, that God has done everything necessary to have the kind of relationship that he wants with us. God has already done everything necessary to have the kind of relationship that he wants with us. Therefore, you don't have to do anything to have the kind of relationship with God that he wants with you. But you do have to want the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you in order to find yourself truly at peace. And so I'm not going to tell you that you should read X amount of Bible verses at X time during the day for X many minutes and pray X many times a day for X many hours at X many times versus blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not what we're going to talk about. But you know, you are fully aware of the Christian disciplines that are out there, the things that that the church over time, the community of faith has said, here are ways that we can know and be in relationship with God. But rather, I'm gonna give you three questions that I ask myself in order to help figure out, am I doing what it is that God wants me to do? And so, well, and so just right before we get to that, what I wanna make sure that you hear from me today is that being in real relationship with God is determined by God himself, okay? It's de- God is the one who determines whether you are in right relationship with him or not. But he has already made all provision for you to be in right relationship with him. So nothing you can do if you are in Christ will cost you a relationship with God. Nothing you can do if you are in Christ can cost you a relationship with God. And nothing you do will make God love you more. You are so fully and completely and thoroughly enjoyable to God as you are. I'm not saying you're good. (laughs) I'm not saying that your mind is clean and that your body is the way that you want it to be or that your life is, has everything in order. But you as you are, are loved fully and completely. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you less or love you more. You cannot fail him. There is nothing you can do to cause him to be disappointed with you. Nothing at all. And so as we talk about what we want to do to be in relationship with God, we want to make sure that we understand that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. The two texts that you have uh, on your note here are Galatians 4 and Romans 8. I couldn't decide which of those two to use as a primary text because they say the exact same thing, and, and it is so important. I mean, I'm belaboring this introductory point because if you don't understand 
that you are loved fully and completely by God, then there is nothing you can do to find yourself in real relationship. You will always be trying to gain, to, to, to get something that you already have. And that's silly. And it can be downright pathetic in some, in some instances. So as long as you know that you are a son of God, as long as you know that you are a daughter of God, as long as you know that you will never not be in that relationship with God, then we can proceed, okay? So do, will you, at least for the next 20 minutes, just accept that you are a son of God, that you are a daughter of God, so that we can then discuss what it means to be in right relationship with him. Glenn has Bibles. He wants to hand out to you if you want to take a look at them. If you have one, uh, then you can use one. If not, yep, we got one over there. And so let's look in, we're going to do Romans 8, and I'm going to focus on verse 12. But both Galatians and Romans say the exact same thing. You have been adopted by God. You have been brought into the family by God, and you belong to God. And there's nothing you can do to change that. So if you're in Romans 8, let's go to verse 1, because I already, I already said it once. Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, social science researcher Brene Brown talks about the issue of belonging. Okay? There, is now, there, are no, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who belong to God. Belonging is the innate human desire to be a part of something larger than us. An innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? The innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. You will not belong to God any more than you accept who you are right now. And what that means is that in order for us to be in a real relationship with God the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit, you have to be okay with who you are. You have to be okay with who you are. Now, if you're anything like me, you're not always okay with who you are. I mean, I'm just not good enough. On a daily basis, I don't have the skills to do everything that I want to get done in the way that I want to do it in the time that I want to do it. And so it's frustrating. On this Father's Day especially, I reflect on just not having modeled for me on a consistent basis what it means to be a good dad. 
I've had father figures, and I have relationships with my dad and my stepdad. But at the times when I was trying to figure out what it meant to be a son, and the times where I, now as I look back, I realize that I was learning how to be a father, I didn't have someone there that now I want to hang my hat on that and say, this is what I want to be like. And so as I spend time with my kids and I spend time with my wife, I'm always, I'm always feeling inadequate. And when I don't feel adequate, then I don't feel like I belong. Now, for you, it might be something different. It could be uh, in your occupation. It could be in your appearance. It could be in a relationship. It could, be, it, it could be in any type of number of different things. But if we are not satisfied with who we are, then we won't feel like we belong. And our desire to be in relationship will be overwhelmed by our desire to be better than we truly are. So when we, when we look at this, and I, I pulled that, that, uh, that quote out today because it came from, I just, as, as I was looking at this and trying to figure out when we talk about relationships and what are they like, um, I just hit, went to the Google machine again and said, what's wrong with relationships in America today? Um, and I got more than I needed, and so I just went back to this one little bit right here that I thought did a good job of, of wrapping it all into one. It came from a Pew Research that basically just boiled down all the different maladies or all the different breakups um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the relational structure of America today. But one of the other things that I saw is that relationships are, are characterized, categorized by th- in three different ways. One, relationships in America today are temporary. They're not designed or expected to last. Two relationships today are codependent, meaning I can't be all of me unless you are giving me part of you. Therefore, if I'm not complete, it's your fault, not mine. So relationships are designed to be temporary. They're not designed to last. They're codependent so that we can blame others. And they're for our gratification, that you're in a relationship so that you can be pleased, not so that you can serve. We have to address those or at least be aware of those as we talk about being in a real relationship with God because we're Americans or we at least live in America and we live in an environment and a culture today that is increasingly materialistic, consumeristic, and physical. It's very much about what are you getting and what are you feeling. And if, if we think that our relationship with God is like every other relationship we have and it's temporary, then we will continually be working and trying to please God so that he will not leave us. Have you had a broken relationship? Someone that has left you? Or have you felt like someone has left you? Felt abandoned? Is there somebody you wish that you were in a relationship with but just can't figure out how to get them to come back around? Or do you think that if this person would just do that, then you would be able to If they would just give me this, then I could give them that instead. They hurt me. I want to trust them. But in order for me to trust them, they need to prove themselves trustworthy by doing A, B, C, and D, E, and F, and G, and H, and I, and J, and K, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on, and continuing to move that bar further and further out before you realize you're actually trying to punish them instead of receive them back in a relationship. Or do you find yourself just seeking relationships because they make you feel good? Like, I love being around this person because I feel great. Or I love being around this person because they give me this. Or 
the more I'm around this person, the more I get to spend time at this place or with these people or get this recognition. It's good for my career. It's good for my status. It's good for me. It's gratifying. And we, I chose those three mostly because those are the ones I struggle with <laughs> personally, but also because those were, the, those were three of the four that were the most typical that came out. The fourth was more sexual, and we're not going to talk about that in, this, in the, the context of this because it's not appropriate to view God that way, and yet our sexuality is a huge part of who we are and also a huge part of the way that the devil has um, corrupted the nature of relationships inside the church. But that's a, a topic for another day. It's, it's too large for today. So instead, we're going to talk about these three big questions, okay? The first one is, is he personal? Is God, is God personal to you? Do you know that you have a personal relationship with God? We've already addressed some of the issues that might get in the way of that, but one of the things that I find when I'm talking with folks about our relationships with God is that we talk about God in the third person or in, with a title. And it's, it's a real subtle shift, right? So um, when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, for example, um, we talk about it. Have you heard that? People say, well, the Holy Spirit, it was moving today. I mean, if I said, my wife, it was moving today, you guys are all chuckling. That, that doesn't seem right at all. It's very impersonal. Or if you continually to call your friend, you know, Mr. Bordner, hey, Mr. Bordner, what's going on today? How you doing? Does, it doesn't feel... There, there's a formality there. There's a distance that's created by using that title. Now, some titles of respect are appropriate in some times, but when you're in it, you don't call anybody. You don't use a title for anyone that you're in close relationship with. You use their name. And even on Father's Day, I recognize you, you don't call your dad, you know, by his first name. You call him dad because no one else can. So when we talk about our Heavenly Father and we talk about the Lord, the more we use those terms that elevate and magnify and point to the holiness and the nature of God, the more we bring him glory by acknowledging him, the more danger we can be in of separating our sinful selves because we're not seated firmly in our position as sons and daughters of God? Is he personal to you? Do you call him father because you really are in a relationship with him, or do you call him father because that's what Jesus called him, and you're riding on Jesus' coattails to be in relationship with God? Because Jesus doesn't desire for you to be in a relationship with the father through him he desires you to be in relationship with the Father because of the work that he's done through the Holy Spirit. That's what John was talking about when Jesus says, the Father and I will come and we will make our home with them. And, he will, and we will be with them. And the Spirit of God then brings us into this inner circle and we now get to look at this high, elevated, majestic, holy, perfect, good God as our friend. Oh, when I was in college, um, I played soccer, and I got to work at a soccer camp on Whidbey Island. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to Fort Casey, but it was 
it was awesome. It was one of, it was some of the greatest summers of my life was being on this field and coaching these kids. But one of the other cool things about that too was that the, the guys that, so I played at a little D3 school and the guy in charge of this was a D2, D1 guy. And so a lot of these players that came through this program went on to go play in the pros. And so this coach built all these relationships and would bring these professional players in. And it was pretty cool. I mean, here I am, a 22, 23 year old kid with no aspirations of going pro, but I knew, I, I knew where I was at. But I got to rub elbows with some of these pretty amazing, amazing people. And one of the coolest people I got to meet was this man named Adu. Anybody know him? No. No, you don't. I didn't even know him either. I just see this little round, you know, this, this little round, older, real dark-skinned guy walking around camp. And I'm thinking to myself, he looks cool. He looks happy. And he was. And I went over to talk to him. And I couldn't understand what he was saying because he only spoke Portuguese. Adu is from Brazil. And he played, he had a friend, you might have heard of his buddy, his name was Pele. You ever heard of him? Yeah. So Edu was Scottie Pippen to Pele's Michael Jordan. And he was on those, uh, the World Cup winning Brazilian national teams as well as the club team, the Santos. You look at this guy, you wouldn't know it, right? Because he was a little bit past his prime. But you look at this guy and you watch him do something and you realize he's a magician. <laughs> I mean, he did stuff with his feet that I have never seen done in real life. And the more you spent time with this guy, the more you just loved who he was. He always had a smile on his face. Everything was Toto Bane. Ah, all right, you always got to have the flavor. You always got to have the flavor. Always oh, it's samba, it's samba, it's samba. And he always danced, and he always kicked the ball around. And he was just an absolute blast to be around. And I loved this guy. And he enjoyed me, and we got to talk, and it was fun. Well, this kid from Miami comes up, and he's from Brazil. And he saw Adu, and he lost his mind. He knew exactly where he was. He knew he grew up. His dad told him stories about Adu and Pele, and, and, and this kid just fell apart. Every time he saw Adu, he just went, he had no idea what was going on. I mean, here I am sitting with this guy, and we're at lunch at the cafeteria, and we're sharing, you know, little styrofoam cups of juice, and we're talking, and I'm not understanding what he's saying, and he's smiling, and I just think this is the greatest thing in the world because it's just a fun guy I love to be around. And there's this guy over here who is, he can't, bring himself to come over and sit by this legend. I didn't know anything about this guy, but I knew that I enjoyed him. This kid knew everything about him and couldn't get close to him. And I don't want that to be your relationship with God. I don't want you to spend all your time reading your Bible and doing your studies in the morning and, go, and, and knowing the whole thing inside and out, but missing a relationship with a God who loves you for who you are. I don't want you to get so caught up in the glory and the majesty that you think that you're not worth sitting next to or with the Father? Is he personal to you? The next question I ask myself, is he pleased with me? So is God personal and is he pleased? This is the one where I, I get the, I, this is the one I stumble on the most often. Is he pleased with me? No, he can't be pleased with me because I'm not pleased with myself. Who's God? Me? And that, if that's the way you're thinking about it, then yeah, you are, you little idolater. When I say that God is not pleased with me, and God says, I am pleased with you, I'm saying, then we get into these, and you've been in an argument with God before, right, where he says, go do this. You're like, oh, I don't think you really want me to do that, right? I'm going to go do this instead, and then he causes a storm to come, and you get chucked off the side of a boat and swallowed by a fish, right? No, that... But in our lives, as we wrestle and we run from God, he throws different things at us to 
in our way to block us so that we turn around and come back to him so that we would acknowledge his power and we do that, right? So I'm, I'm resisting God and he sends some trouble my way. I'm in conflict at work. And Lord, I just, I need your help here because I can't get this sorted out. And God is gracious and says, okay. God, my kids are there just driving me nuts. I need some space. And God says, oh, okay. Oh, Lord, I, I, I don't know how we're gonna make ends meet this month. What are we gonna do? And God says, oh, okay. I love you and I'm pleased with you. No, you're not because I'm so bad. I didn't work hard enough to get the money. I didn't, I wasn't patient enough with my kid. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. And we get in these arguments with God back and forth and back and forth. And what's incredible to me is that God knowing us fully and being so patient and confident in who he is is that God continues to pursue us because he loves us. And he doesn't just love us, he loves you. And he loves me. But do you know that he's pleased with you? He's actually pleased with who you are right now. That doesn't mean that things you do are pleasing to him. When we pursue sin instead of pursuing God, when we, when we go back to our old ways of taking care of ourselves the way we think we ought to be taken care of, it breaks God's heart. And that's why he gave his son, Jesus Christ, so that those sins would be atoned for. All right, so we talk about this when we, talk, when, we, when, we, when we are sharing the gospel with someone, when we're talking about coming to faith, we always address the, the sins that, well, for chronologically, I guess we'll be on this side, the sins that are in your past, right? So I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And you share with them, well, but, but God has forgiven you, right? He's made provision in his son, Jesus Christ, for all of your sins. And the person says, that's amazing. And God opens their eyes and, they, and their, their salvation is revealed to them. And boom, we, we, we plan a marker, right, in, in, on, the, on the timeline. And we say, on this date, right, wh- whatever date it was, either you had a, a, an amazing uh, conversion experience where you can point to, you know, walking down that sawdust trail, or it's just this slow time where you got on the motorbike and then by the time you ended up in, in Liverpool, you realized that you were a Christian. I don't know where, what it is for you, but there's some point where you look back and you say, at that point, Jesus became my Lord, I became a Christian, and my whole life is different afterwards. But what happens to us a lot of time is that we know that Jesus died for our sins before we believed, and we forget that he died for our sins for the rest of our lives. But the death of Christ was sufficient for our sins over here just as much as they're sufficient for our sins over here. Because when did Jesus die for your sins? Right? I mean, 2,000 years ago, he actually came into this world and died at a point in history where the calendars, woo, you know, they changed. So there is a, an actual physical moment in time where God of the universe came into this world and gave up his life for you. And at that point, his blood was shed for all of your sins, and it was before you were born. So Jesus died in the past before you sinned to cover up your sins, So that when God looks at you, all he sees is the blood that Jesus has shed, and he's pleased. He knows that his wrath has been satisfied, actually appeased, and he's no longer angry with you. That was in the past, before you were born, before you professed faith in Christ, and before you died. So his blood covered all of your sins from the time you were born until the time you die. So is God pleased with you? If he ever was pleased with you, then he always is pleased with you. And that's a big deal when you're in a relationship with someone because there's nothing more pathetic than someone who is always following you around trying to prove to you that they're good enough to be in a relationship with you. 
I mean, and I, I don't mean that to sound overly harsh, but it is the truth, right? Someone who always feels like they're inadequate, always trying to always just, hey, can I, what can I do to make this better for you? What can, I do to, what can I do to make you feel good about me? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Just relax, please. Just sit down, have a yoo-hoo, and I'll get back to you in a minute, and I will come back. I will be here. It's kind of cute when it's in your kids when it first starts, and it's, but it's more of like a, I feel good about myself because somebody wants me all the time. But it, it gets frustrating after a while. I love that video that we played up there, right? Huh. Hey, guys, come on in and jump on my back while I'm trying to sleep. Nothing better. But it actually is really great when you think about it because they do grow up and they don't do it like they used to. Or for some of us, they pass away and we never get to hold them again. But at some point, all nature, the nature of all relationships change. And as we talk about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our perfect brother Jesus, with our advocate and comforter of the Spirit, do we see ourselves as pleased and fully loved by God? So is he personal? Is he pleased? And if you said, yeah, he's personal, yeah, he's pleased with me, but... My life is still pretty crummy, so he's probably not powerful enough to actually get this accomplished. Is he personal? Is he pleased? Is he powerful? And when we talk about the power of God, one of the things in the nature of relationships, and, and you remember I talked about uh, the challenges being in relationships being temporary, codependent, and for our gratification. The, the interesting thing about that is that uh, I mean, those, those are the things that God also talks about in our relationship, that this, this world, this temporary relationship where we don't fully understand or in, are in relationship with God is temporary, and we will become full, we will see God fully when we're in heaven. So this, this struggle, as we're trying to figure this out right now, it is temporary. And there is a bit of a codependent relationship within the church where if we fall apart, if we're, if we're by ourselves for too long, we start to fizzle away or shrink a little bit. And we need to be in relationship with people because it makes us feel good. It reminds us about who we are. And the place where this really falls apart is even if we believe we have a personal relationship with Jesus and even if we believe that he's pleased, we still look around our life and we say, well, he's not gonna do anything about this. He's not gonna affect change in my circumstances. So I guess I'm just going to have to be satisfied with what I have. And that's not what God desires for us. He does not want you to just be okay with the way things are. He wants you to know that the freedom that you first experienced, those, those moments of sweetness, when you know that you are in perfect, that life is good and perfect and can't get any better than this, that's God's desire for every moment of your life. The problem is, the cares of this world start getting in the way. And we forget that we have this personal direct relationship. And so I, I gotta go back to Justin's example that he used of being in that fight with his buddies. I mean, it's not, it wasn't fun at the time to be in that fight, but the affirmation of knowing that you're, you're engaged with something that could kill you with somebody that loves you makes that thing I don't know if I want to say appealing, but that feeling is appealing, and that environment is where we got it. We shouldn't pursue sin 
but it's in our struggle that we find victory. I mean, it just, I don't, I don't really know what to do with that. But what I do know is that you will have problems in your life. You have failed, you will fail, people will fail you. And the only thing that will cause you to continue to keep getting up in the morning with a smile on your face and not excusing other people's behavior or be falling into despair is knowing that there is a God who is right there with you that loves you and is walking through that with you. And that's the reason why Jesus is so important as a person. And the reason why I get so frustrated when we talk about having Jesus in our heart is because Jesus the man came in and did all the things in this world that I was not able to do to please God the Father. He loved his mom and dad perfectly, and I don't do that. He was always respectful to women, and I don't always do that. He knew how to treat kids as, 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 as beings of potential and respect, and I don't always do that. He knew how to submit himself to unholy religious leaders so that God would be glorified, and I don't always know how to do that. He knew how to provide for the people that he cared about, and I don't always know how to do that. He, Jesus lived in this world as a person, sweat and bled, working as a carpenter in a, in a Middle Eastern country that was occupied by a, a religiously and culturally antagonistic force and did it perfectly, and I don't always know how to do that. And so I'm so thankful that Jesus walked ahead of me but I forget sometimes that he walked ahead of me so that I don't have to. I don't have to try to get it right all the time. All I have to do is enjoy the relationship that he has provided for me. And so when we talk about the power of God, it's important that we recognize that there is nothing that we have to fear in this world. But it also opens everything up so that we're not just sitting here being satisfied with what we have. And this, this, was, this came to me, this was made real to me uh, when I moved up to Wenatchee uh, when I was dating my wife. So I grew up in California. I grew up in inner city Oakland. And that is um, not like Wenatchee. So <laughs> when, we, when, my, uh, when my mom got remarried, my dad, my stepdad, he got us out of Oakland. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just so thankful for that. Um, so he moved us out of, out of Oakland. Uh, we moved to Marysville for a little bit and then over to Wenatchee. Marysville is more like Wenatchee than it's like Oakland. Um, and it was, it has been a, it is, this has been a great place for me to be. But every time I go back home or go back down to California and go visit my family, I realize that there is a, there's quite a distinction in the way that I was raised and the way that I live. And this was, the, the light really turned on for me uh, when I read a, a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Have you got anybody ever heard of that book? It's pretty, it's a really cool book. Um, the other one that's very similar to that uh, that just came out recently was called Hillbilly Elegy. And both of those books talk about a distinction that is made, uh, a distinction between um, access in America that is based not on race as much as it's based on economics. And the economic distinction is driven by who you're in a relationship with. It's all about who you're in a relationship with. So if you live in the inner city, in a highly densely populated area where most of the people down there are blue collar or government workers, you have a different perspective on economics, finance, and engagement with culture than you do if you live in an agrarian 
um, in, uh, an agrarian or rural environment. There's just two ways about it. And when you start operating in the private sector and there's no limit on the amount of money that you can make, it totally changes the way you think about spending your money and how you engage with government and what government ought to do in order to provide for the economic well-being of people. Now, I'm not making a value statement. Please don't hear me making value statements. What I'm making is a, I'm, I'm just making an observation about the nature of relationships. Because the first time that I was able to see a doctor in his kitchen for something, it blew my mind. I don't have to wait two and a half hours in a, in a waiting room after I made an appointment three weeks earlier in order to be seen for some minor injury? I didn't even know that was possible. And then I was working uh, for a guy uh, in, in construction. I, didn't, I thought there was one guy built an entire house from the ground up, right? I mean, we just sit there, we show up, and there's a guy with a hard hat and a clipboard walking around, and there's cranes. And I, I mean, I, when I was younger, I thought it was kind of like Iron Man where he just controlled everything and the stuff just built itself. I didn't realize there were sub, subcontractors in there and that people barter their services so you don't have to pay. Like, that blew my mind. Like, you have a service that you can give somebody and you don't have to get paid for it because you enjoy them and they'll give you something in return and it's like me trading my uh, Star Wars toys with a kid in the apartment above me and he'll give me a Lego and I'll get a Star Wars and it operates the same way and all of a sudden now I have access to things that I didn't have access to before. You're, our God, your father, knows everybody. He knows everybody. So if you need something, he'll hook you up with it if it's good for you and what he wants you to do. So he is personal. You actually do know your father. He is pleased with you. He's glad that you are who you are, and he is powerful and wants to give you the things that you want. So if that's the, if that's the nature of God, if he is personal, if he is uh, powerful, and if he's pleased with you, then you can, as a Christian, you can literally do anything you want to do. A real relationship with God is no different than any other relationship you have here in the world. It's no different than any other relationship. You spend time with someone, you get to know them, and as you get to know them, you want to spend time with them, and you guys go do stuff together. And the more you do things with someone, the more different things you do with someone, the more you get to see them in different ways. And the more you see them in different ways, the more you get to learn about them. And the more you learn about them, the more you desire to be in a relationship with them. But what's also neat about this is that the more time you spend with someone with someone else, the more you get to see him in a different way. I remember the first time I walked in on my dad hanging out with his guy friends, and I realized, whoa, this guy might actually be cool. Because all I knew was the grumpy guy that worked uh, shift work in the middle of the night that I had to tiptoe around when I got home from school because he wasn't going to be in a very good mood if he woke up because he just got to bed right before I got home. That's not who he was. That's what he did in order to provide for my family. That's not who he was. So when you get him camping, or you get him around his brothers, or you get him around his friends, I mean, this guy's a lot of fun to be around. He is a lot of fun to be around. And God is the same way. Your, your heavenly father is the exact same way. The more time you spend with Christians, the more you're going to get to see a different part of who God is. The more time you spend with unbelievers and see how God is gracious to them, the more you get to see how generous he really is. The more time you spend with people who are coming into faith in Christ, the more excited you're going to remember, oh, how, how it is that God pursues us. The more time you spend with people who have been Christians their entire life and are getting ready to, to be promoted to the church universal, the more you realize, wow, 
Maybe the things I'm struggling with right now aren't going to last forever. The more you spend, the more time you spend together as a church, with the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to get to know this God that loves you and the more you're going to continue to do the things that you want to do. God, there is no wrong thing for a Christian to do. There is literally nothing you can do that is wrong if you're in right relationship with God. You can't read your Bible too much or too little. You can't pray too much or too little. You can't behave too good or too bad. If you are in relationship with God, truly desiring to grow and to know him, to know him and to grow in him, there is nothing you can do that's wrong. So I, last time I was up here, I talked a little bit about hiking with my kids and, and I talked about the boundaries, right? The sides, the sides of, the, of the trail. And I got, I got a couple kids and this, this drives me nuts now because they do it when we're on Stevens Pass. So we're driving over the pass, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Four lanes as you're coming down the pass on the west side. Two coming up the hill, two coming down the hill. I will be on the inside lane going down the hill, and my kids will say, I think I'm going to fall off the edge. First of all, no, you're no, if we, there's no, we're nowhere near the side. Second of all, I'm not that bad of a driver. You have never been in the car with me where I've been in a wreck, okay? There is no reason for you to worry that you are going to go off the side of the road. Could you imagine? A lot of us as Christians, we live our life that way. We try to stay right in the middle of the road, and we keep complaining about, I'm going to fall off the side. I can't hug that center line enough to feel safe enough not to go off the edge, but I don't want to get too close to the side because there's oncoming traffic. I just don't know what to do. And so I want to stay right here in the middle, and I don't want to risk on one side, and I don't want to risk on the other side because I've been saved, and I know if I just sit here, eventually I'll make it. And God says, yeah, you'll end up there. Go, I mean, go ahead, white knuckle it the whole way, but they're sitting in the back watching the movie. Why don't you stop whining and pay attention to that? Okay. The Christian life is not about trying to stay safe. It's about living with a God who is pursuing the dangerous. One of the most, one, one of my favorite, my favorite quotes comes from the Chronicles of Narnia. And we talk about this all the time. We actually named our fourth kid after Lucy from, uh, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because she's just, she's just an amazing, amazing, amazing little character in that book. But you remember the scene where the, the four kids make it through and they go into the beaver's house. And if you don't know the story, then this makes no sense, but I'm gonna keep telling it anyway, okay? So the, there's these four kids, they come in, and there's these talking beavers, and they're in this little beaver dam, and one of the kids takes off, okay? And this one, his heart's already been corrupted, and he's pursuing the Satan character in this, and blah, blah, blah. But inside this, the, the Christ figure is this lion named Aslan. And the kids don't know who Aslan is. And so the beavers are telling them, Aslan is coming, Aslan is coming. Who's Aslan? So he's a lion, a lion, oh my goodness, and they start describing him, you know, how big and terrifying he is and powerful and amazing. And one of the kids says, is he safe? He says, oh my dear, no, he is not safe at all, but he's good. And that makes all the difference. Your father loves you. He desires for you to know him personally. He is pleased with you. There is nothing you can do to disappoint him. And he is powerful, he is connected with everything that you will ever need to be satisfied in this world. But to truly enjoy a life with Christ, a real practical relationship in the Holy Spirit, you have to start, stop asking yourselves, is this the right thing to do? And say, God, is this where you are? And go with him. So whether you wanna be a school teacher or a truck driver, a missionary or an astronaut, 
It does not matter what you choose to do as long as you are pursuing your Father who loves you. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you on a regular, daily basis. In every minute of every day, you are always in relationship with a pure, holy God of the universe. And it's not safe. And you're gonna sin, and you're gonna get it wrong. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He has already died. You have already been forgiven. So stop worrying about getting it wrong. And enjoy this God who is good and and. He is good and not, it's not always safe. We stay within the boundaries. There four, the, the thing I'm gonna close with here is I'm gonna give you those things I told you I wasn't gonna give you, okay? What does it actually look like to be in a relationship with God? Spend time together. Be still with God. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you don't need, to, you don't need anyone to tell you how to please God or what to do. Be still whether that's for two minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon, two hours at night, or any other time in between. Be still and know that God is God. Be biblical. He has revealed himself fully and completely in Jesus Christ. Jesus' friends wrote down what that was like. And the Holy Spirit gives you the answers you need to understand this text. The more you know your Bible, the more you'll have the roadmap of this period in history that actually existed that's not today. You don't live in Palestine in AD 30 or in, you know, you're not, you're not in Egypt in 3000 BC. You're in Chelan in 2018, okay? You got a cell phone. <laughs> don't walk <laughs> everywhere. Be still. Be biblical and be connected with a church body. Now, some of you have jobs that you can't be here every Sunday. Some of you have responsibilities. You can't be here any day. Find a body of believers and be in relationship with them, in real relationship with them, not just two minutes sitting next to them, you know, or, or sorry, 40 minutes sitting next to them on a Sunday morning, but actually in relationship with someone who you can tell, hey, here's how I really, really really messed up today. Here's, what I, here's the ugly thought that I had in my head so that they can say to you, you've been forgiven. Here are the ways that we should, here are the things you, need, you ought to do for restitution and restoration, but you've been forgiven and you're good. And make sure that your relationships, your connected relationships in your local church are also rooted in the, his, in the historical orthodoxy of Jesus Christ. Not all churches are created equal and not all religions are the same. Apart from the triune God of the Bible and salvation that cannot be earned by anything you do. Okay, those are the f foundations of Christian faith. Apart from those things, just be involved with the local church. Okay? Is he pleased with you? Yes, he is. Is he personal? Yes, you know him. Is he powerful? Absolutely. Be still, be biblical, be connected. I'm gonna pray. Holy Spirit, thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for being our advocate and our comforter, for making provision for our sin in Jesus Christ and for making a way for us to be in right relationship. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who have been patient today. Lord God, that they would find themselves wrestling with this truth in a way that is encouraging.
I pray that they would encourage themselves and that they would encourage each other. And as we do this, God, that we would also reach out to those who, whom this is not encouraging for. Because let's be honest, if I'm not part of the family of God, I'm not in a good place. And so I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and those that we love, offering the, the free gift of salvation of Jesus Christ, and then walking in the fullness of life alongside them. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.